Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Sacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas. And before you skip to the meat of this episode, listen up because I've got some really exciting news. Today marks the start of our third year of this podcast. And with that, I have some exciting changes to the show. I've listened to all of you and I've heard you say over and over that two books a month is just too many. So we're going to be moving to one book club pick per month. This way, you're going to have plenty of time to read along with me and my guests. So here's how it will work moving forward. The first Wednesday of every month, I will be interviewing a guest. They'll be talking about their reading habits, giving you book recommendations, the same as you're used to. Then on the last Wednesday of every month, that guest will be back and we'll be discussing the book in detail. The weeks in between will be filled with author interviews, all of the short stacks, fun book recommendation shows, summer preview, a gift buying guide, and a lot more. So to break that down for you, first week of the month is going to be that interview episode. In between, we're going to have fun author interviews, short stacks, etc. And then the last week of the month will be the Stacks Book Club conversation. I'll be announcing the book club pick the last week of the month before. So for example, I announced our April book club pick Trust Exercise by Susan Choi the last week of March. I'll also be posting about our book club pick the first of every month. So if you want to know a little bit early, you've got to tune into the podcast. Otherwise, you can find it on our social media at the Stacks Pod on Instagram and at the Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter. Those are the major changes for the show for now. I'm always open to your feedback. So please reach out on social media or head to our website, thestackspodcast.com. You can also find links to all of our social media accounts in the show notes, as well as links to everything that we talked about on today's episode. As we start the third season, just a friendly reminder that your ratings and reviews help the show reach new audiences and build our community here of book friends. So please take a moment to leave a sentence or two about what you love most about this podcast. For example, a recent review came from Crystal in Wisconsin. Here's what she said. I recently started listening to the podcast when Jason Reynolds was on. So glad to find this great place to hear about books and other media. That's it. That's the review. It's simple. It's five stars and it's super helpful. So please take a moment to rate and review this podcast. Okay. That was a lot. Thank you guys so much for listening to all of that. Now let's get to the episode. I'm joined today by Brandon Taylor, the author of Real Life. It's his debut novel and it's fantastic. 
Brandon is also a senior editor of Electric Literature's Recommended Reading and a staff writer at Literary Hub. Let's do it! All right, everybody. I'm very excited to be sitting here today with Brandon Taylor. Brandon is the senior editor at Electric Literature's Recommended Reading and a staff writer at Literary Hub. He's also a debut novelist whose book is maybe one of the buzziest of the year so far. It's called Real Life. Brandon, welcome to the Stacks. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited you're here. Um, Listeners of this podcast will know I'm not a big fiction person. So, Everyone take this and hear what I'm saying. This book is very good and it's fictiony and it's still very good. And I loved it and I read it in like two days and was just gushing. So you should feel all the things, but congratulations on such an exciting debut. Thank you so much. That may be the best wreck I've ever heard of it. <laughs> we'll blurb it for the paperback. Just let's, me gushing. Let's do it, please. <laughs> Top of the page. So before we get to real life, we're going to talk about you for a moment. Just give us kind of like a little rundown where you're from, where you are now. I mean, like just a little, it was a little Brandon preview. Yeah. So I'm from Alabama. Um, I lived there my entire life until I went to graduate school at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And I was there for about four or five years. And then I left that to go to graduate school in Iowa City to study creative writing. And I've been there since 2017. And you're still in Iowa. Yeah. um, I graduated in 2019. And right now I'm adjuncting. Okay. The writer's dream. And what are you teaching in your adjunctship? Um, I'm teaching a class called the sentence um, oh. and they give you know, they gave me a lot of like free reign of how I would run the class. And so I'm teaching it like a close reading class where I'm trying to give the students tools to, you know, read their, the texts in their lives mo- with more interest and more care mm. and to sort of figure out what interests them as like people and readers. Huh. That's so cool. And what texts are you using? I mean, I'm trying to do this thing where I teach mostly people who are alive. Okay. Because I think a lot of undergraduates are like, well, I don't really read. And it's because they've been given, you know, like old dead people. Yeah. And I love classics a lot. But I think, you know, if you give them people who are publishing today, who are speaking to like their condition in a sort of more contemporary way, they'll really, really love it. And so last week's class, we read Alexander Chi mm. and we read this great essay by C.J. Hauser called The Crane Wife Okay, because um, we were talking about fragments and they just loved it. They could Ugh. not get enough. That's fun. And I guess if they're alive too and they're publishing in this moment, there's something about like there's a social media presence maybe. There's like something that makes them feel more human because I think sometimes yeah. when you're doing like little dead people, it's like that's not a person. Yeah, I think it makes the author seem like this distant authority figure in some weird way. Um, And the students, you know, I've had students um, say like, oh, I'm going to go look this person up and I'm going to go read them. And that's how I found a lot of these writers is I read one little essay in a little magazine and then was like, well, I must know everything about them. (laughs) Um, And and so I'm just like trying to give them a lot of opportunities to like discover new people who they wouldn't have picked for themselves, but like speak to them in interesting ways. That's very cool. This is your first book. Yes. What does that feel like? Um, it it's exciting. I mean, it's it's strange, but it's very very exciting. I mean, for a long time, this book lived on my computer, right? And then it was a series of PDFs that I had to check with a red pen mm. with my editors, and then it was, <laughs> and then it had a cover, and then it was galleys, and then it was, you know, I have all these like 
physical versions of the book like right. stacked up and I sort of look at them sometimes because I really love to see the physical process right. of it. Um, but now it's in the world. And so it's, you know, it's kind of less physically real uh, to me in some ways, but it's, I don't know, like there's something about people reaching out now and being like, I read your book, I have thoughts and feelings mm -hmm. and that's so exciting, but it's also like, oh no. Is it scary? Mm. Do you care about people's, like, do you care if people have thoughts and feelings about your book that aren't what you think people should think and feel about it? I mean, the way that I think about it is once I write something, it no longer belongs entirely to me. I have my own version, you right. know, my own relationship to the text. But once it goes out into the world, it belongs to the people who find it. And right. my hope is that it finds its readers and that it finds its people. Yes. Mm. But any reader who picks up the book, that book now belongs to them. And so it's interesting. I kind of like sort of seeing all the different reads because yeah. I think that's how you know a piece of art is alive is that it can sort of contain all these different meanings from different mm. people. Yeah. Um, and I think that if you write something that ultimately has one reading to it, like that's not very interesting. Mm -mm. Have you had people say things to you where you're like, are you a crazy person? Like, how dare you? Or like any, any negative things where you've been like, what? Or things have been positive that you've been surprised that that's what people got from your book. I mean, it's, yeah, I've been mostly surprised in pleasant ways okay. by a lot of positivity. Um, though I will say sometimes people write to me and they're just like, actually science is a very diverse place and you, your story, you, you should be l more grateful or whatever. And then I'm just like, well, you know, you kind of missed the point of the book right. friend, Right, that's okay. Thanks for coming. Try totally. again. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's been a, it's been a nice mix of things, but mostly positive and like really interesting reads. Okay. So we'll talk about actually what's in the book, but we won't spoil anything because all of you need to read it for yourself. <laughs> um, the book is about Wallace, who is a, grad student in biochemistry at a Midwestern university. He's black. He's gay. He's from the Southeast. He is kind of an outsider in his group of friends and in this, in his biochemistry. And it's kind of, it's like one weekend about him. I'm really trying not to say too much <laughs> about him. His science, his science, it's not experiment, isn't it? Yeah, it's an you call experiment. It, yeah. That sounds like so juvenile, right? Yeah. Like science experiment. Um, but his science experiment that he's been working on gets messed up. Basically, that's kind of like the catalyst for this weekend. And he starts reflecting on the whole thing, the whole of his life, really. How did I do? It's great. Okay. I didn't spoil anything. But what I found to be so just incredible about this book is how many things you cover, right? So we, we, I said I kind of identified Wallace as black, gay, science, whatever. But also we talk in this book about microaggressions, about silence, about belonging, about entitlement. When you set out to write this book, were you thinking I'm going to write a book that encompasses these things? Or did you say I'm going to write a book about this person who is these things? You know, like how do you approach your writing as far as what will be covered versus what it's about? Mm. Yeah. When I set out to write the book, I was mostly thinking like, I really want to write a campus novel because okay. that's my favorite genre of okay. literature. Um, except instead of it being like a white straight person, it's going to be like a black queer person at the center of it. Um, and instead of being in the arts, like usually campus novels are like about literature mm, people right. or professors. And I was right. like, no, it's going to be about a grad student because they are overworked and really sad. Um, and it's going to be based in science because like that's what I knew really, really well. Right. And I'd never read a book about like the sciences 
that itself was also just like a sort of traditional campus novel. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, that was my main starting point. That was, that's a sort of target I painted on the wall for myself. Um, and then when I sort of identified that this character would be like black and queer, I just, you know, got to work thinking, trying to like deeply imagine like what that experience is like, mm-hmm. which was not that hard because I was like living it as a right, 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 right. Um, <laughs> and I thought about all the things that are, you know, all the things that were, that were like present in my own life that I kind of wished were more reflected in art, you know, like what it really is like to feel seven different kinds of lonely mm-hmm. <laughs> like in a space like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a way that wasn't like simple or pat or easy, but in a way that showed that like everyone can only ever know what they're thinking and everyone is capable of doing harm and being harmed in social situations. And it's possible for people to love you and also to hurt you. Um, And so that's really what I was trying to do is just to sort of get on the page, like the full complexity of like that lived experience so that it would feel interesting to the reader and not like really boring or simplistic. Right. I mean, one of the, I take notes when I read for the show and one of the things I wrote down, um, I can't remember when I wrote it down because I was looking back at my notes, but I wrote down, he doesn't give us the answers. Thank you. And I think that that's something that's really nice about this book is that it is really complex. And Wallace is navigating a lot of different relationships and situations. And he is, like you said, doing harm and being harmed all in the same moment, in the same scene, in the same sentence. He's, you know, he could be inflicting harm on someone else while also taking it in. And I think that I said this to you before, but this book occupies a space that just feels like it's so specific and it just feels really full in that hole that it fills. And I think that's really impressive, especially for a debut. Like, that's just so cool. Do you feel like you achieved what you set out to achieve with this book? Do you feel like you hit the target that you painted? I think, yeah, no, I I totally feel that I that I wrote the book that I wish I'd had. Uh, I definitely set out to write this book because it was something that I just really, really wanted to see in the world. And I think, I I think the book achieved that the book to me feels like richly imagined and morally complicated. And it feels, you know, above all else, like it feels true to that experience. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's really, it feels really satisfying because when I think about this book, I don't think like, Oh, I really didn't nail it. I feel like a lot of satisfaction when I think about it. That's so great. Okay. I know that you probably are going to get this question a million times. This is the beginning of your book tour. And I know that some of Wallace lines up with some of your life. Mm. And I'm not going to ask you the question you think I'm going to ask you. What I'm going to say is that you wrote a thing for BuzzFeed News about your life in science. And one of the things you said in that is that you hate being asked about missing science. Why do you hate that question? I think I hate it because, you know... I. I hate that question because I I can almost always feel the answer they want for me on the other end of it. I can mm. I can always feel their kind of assumptions about my relationship to science and like what it is I'm going to say, either yes or no. Like Got it, it. like it's a question that kind of comes packaged with its own answer kind of neatly nestled in the center of it. And it's Mm -hmm. kind of like when you're standing in line next to someone and you're like, oh, hey, how are you? Right. And you don't really expect a a nuanced full answer. Right, 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 right. And so when people are asking me that question, often it's sort of in this capacity of just like to pass the time or, you know, or to just get their neat little answers. They can go off and do whatever. And, it, you know, and to me, like leaving science was an incredibly like, 
complicated and painful and right. logistically horrible um, situation. And so it's like casually asking someone at a funeral if they miss their right. their, their parent or loved one, you know? Right. Um, and it's, and so like, that's really why I hate that question. It's not the question itself. It's like the set of like facile assumptions that kind of underpin it, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like asking someone, you know, I, I sort of liken it in the essay to sort of asking all of these like incredibly rude invasive questions of people in various states of like exile sure. from from various things and i and it and it's not malicious like i don't think the question is malicious i mm-hmm. just think it comes from a place of you know the kind of civic inattentiveness that we have when mm. we're in social situations right right okay you are a kind of person that i did not know existed because you have a science brain and an arts brain and part of my whole ability to exist in the world is that I don't have a science and math brain and that's okay because I have an art brain. But now that I have found you, you've ruined my life. Oh, no. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't even, I like basically want you to tell me what it's like to be you because I don't understand how you can be both things because in my brain, I never could do the science thing because I could do the artsy thing, mm. but you do both. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, it's, it's, so, I mean, it's, inter- I've been thinking a lot about this lately because I've been writing in my new work, I've been writing a lot about like artists and stuff. Okay. And I keep being like, why am I so drawn to artists? I know nothing about art. And then I realized like my brother is an art prodigy. Like, he was an arts <laughs> prodigy, like a full folk painter, sculptor by the Whoa. time he was like 10 years old. Okay. Um, and so it's only now looking back that I'm kind of like, oh, I was always in, in sort of immersed in the arts. I just didn't think of it in that way. Right. Um, but in terms of being like science brained and arts brained, the only thing I can say is like to me they're the same thing. Like they're huh. they're two kind of modes of seeing the world and observing the world and marking the world and and trying to generate meaning. Um, right. They're both these incredibly regimented processes that don't have any guaranteed sure. conclusions at the end. And, you know, writing a novel that I didn't know I would be able to finish while also doing an intense set of experiments that I didn't know that I would finish is like really crystallized it for hmm. me. You know, working in lab in the middle of the night, at, like pipetting and also thinking about how I needed to write part six of this novel and not knowing if I could like survive any of it. I'm just like, what am I doing? What a series of choices I have made. Um, And so to me, art and science are, you know, they're two, they're two forms of the same thing. Like they've never been separate Mm -hmm. in terms of like my interest in them or my understanding of them. And I remember, you know, being in, in various seminars and like watching people talk about, you know, transcriptomics and all this other stuff and just being like, oh, this is like poetry or like, oh, it's like this obscure sort of Czech novel. Um, and so to me, they've always inhabited more or less the same space in my brain. Um, and I was really bad at math until I got to algebra, which is a sort of more symbolic manipulation kind of mathematics. And that to me made so much sense because I was always thinking in terms of like, like language and story and stuff. And hmm. so once math got to this very abstract 
place, I suddenly was really, really good at it. Right. And once I got to like chemistry and like ways in which I was applying very concrete, like physical laws to the world and breaking it down into expressions and <laughs> manipulating them, like that to me was the same as writing a story. Interesting. Um, and so to me, they're just tapped into the same deep part of the world. Okay. And, and that's how I operate. Um, but I also, one of my best friends from undergrad calls me a freak of nature all of the time because of it. Yeah. So because it doesn't like we're taught that you don't exist, mm. like that someone can't be as special and as talented in both parts of the brains. Like because for us simple people, it would be too de- devastating to know that you exist. I mean, I really <laughs> think that. I mean, it's it's kind of sad to me because if you look at the history of mathematics, like the first first mathematicians were philosophers. You know, right. like all of it flows from the same place. Right. And it feels to me that something has been lost, like culturally and hmm. societally, by this siloing of like arts and STEM and separate. Yeah. Kind of. And and I think part of that is just a lot of it is just the way that math and science in this country are taught. Yeah. And a lot of it, a lot of people end up with you know, overworked teachers who have 30 kids to teach long division right. and they just don't have the resources, especially in like poorer states and yeah, cities. Yeah. Um, you know, they don't have all the, they don't have the resources they need to give every student the customized attention to sort of teach it to them in a way that makes sense. Yeah. But you've got all these standardized tests to do. And so you don't have time to teach in a way that builds genuine understanding or right. like links these different skills up. And I feel really lucky in some ways that I get to live my life in a way that allows this natural mm-hmm. flow from like writing literary fiction to right. understanding developmental biology. Right. And I get to see how it's all connected. And, and that's right. something that I wished everyone had because it's, to me, they're huh. all the same and it's really, yeah, it makes my life richer. In some yeah. Ways. That's real. Did you have a teacher or teachers that foster that in you? Or you just like, how did, how did you discover that you had both of those in you? I mean, I just, you know, I, I just had really great teachers in high school and middle school. I had teachers who were so, who taught me to be curious mm. and who taught me to be, you know, just like interested in various things and that I didn't have to close off parts of myself to be true to other parts of myself. And it also helped that I was just like really, really good at school. Like right. school was the place I felt safe and I felt at home. And right. and I was just, you know, I was really, really good at school. Right. And, you know, my brother was not like my brother had dyslexia and he had other sort of learning challenges. And so for him, school was this really difficult, brutal, hmm. awful place. Right. And I think that if you're a person who doesn't have learning challenges, like it's just much easier for you to be able to tap into these things because teachers don't have to try as hard to sort of get you to do your long division. Right. And it's not as discouraging. Like you can be trying really hard and still not like getting it. Absolutely. Air quote. Yeah. (laughs) And, And so I was really lucky to be able to go to school and it not be a discouraging experience. And I wasn't, you know, sobbing at my desk and my teacher didn't have to exert, you know, all this effort to sort of Hmm. get me to do my math homework. Um, And so, yeah, it's just kind of lucky that I had one great teachers and two that I just was a really gifted learner from early on. Yeah. My last little question for you about this book is it's been pretty buzzy people. It's been everywhere. Um, You just posted something about it being in time magazine. Is that Mm -hmm. what it was? What's that like? Like, is it a total trip? Yeah. Well, my friends keep being like, Brandon, you're so buzzy. And I'm like, is it buzzy? I can't tell. It doesn't seem buzzy from it where. It feels buzzy. Yeah. It, feel, it feels like a bee's hive or something. <laughs> it's buzzy in a great way. Oh, well, that makes me feel good. I mean, to me, 
you know, it's not often that books about queer life and books about like black people and certainly books about like black queer life don't get the sort of right. all this attention on them. And so when my book was coming out, I just thought like, well, you know, all these other people will get all the buzz and I'll mm. just be over here with my modest expectations. Right. That's okay as long as this book finds its people. Um, and so like once the um, anticipated lists start rolling out, I was like, oh, oh, this one, oh, this one, oh, it's so great. Um, I just, yeah, I mean, because I didn't expect it, it just feels like a gift and yeah. it feels really special and it feels good. But I also feel like I can't quite, I can't see it from the outside. You maybe need some time yeah, to look back one yeah. day. I mean, it's very strange because I'm a person like publishing is my fantasy football. Like mm. I, I love thinking, breaking down the strategy and like looking at all the books as they come out and oh being God. like, oh, this is their strategy. This is their strategy. Mm. Um, and so it feels really frustrating not to be able to do it for myself, but also maybe that's protective because I feel like yeah. I would make myself nuts. If yeah. I- <laughs> yeah. You have to just like not try to analyze in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast.
Okay. So before we get to the questions about you, we do a little segment on here called Ask the Stacks where someone has emailed us asking for a book recommendation. So I'm springing this on you, Mm. but I think you're going to do great. Okay. I didn't even cherry pick this. Okay. This comes from Allison. She says, hello, I am a big nonfiction and memoir reader who has recently read and loves some great character-driven atmospheric novels. I love queer literature, especially by women, but open to all genders. Some recent favorite novels include Brandon Taylor's Real Life and A Little Life in parentheses, I know. Memoirs I loved include Janine Venasco's Things We Didn't Talk About When I Was a Girl and Carmen Maria Machado's In the Dream House. I'm hoping for deep backlist books, especially by dead authors and people of color, either nonfiction or novels. So I'll start, give you a little time to think. You only have to come up with like one. You don't have to come up with multiple unless you can. My first one for you, Allison, this is basically nothing that you asked for, but I feel like it's atmospheric and it's a novel and that's all I can do. Um, is Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel. I just, it's about like a pandemic. It feels very important in this moment of coronavirus. Um, and it's so beautifully written and it takes like a pandemic and what would happen, but it makes it really real. It doesn't feel science fiction-y in a way that we're all like floating in outer space. It feels like if tomorrow this happened, what the fuck would we do? Um, and then the other one I'm going to suggest is the Berlin stories by Christopher Isherwood. I've actually not read it, but I love cabaret and I know that it's kind of related to cabaret, the musical. And I have some friends who think it's amazing, but he's old and dead and queer. So check, right? Yeah, totally. Okay. Your turn. (laughs) Um, I'm going to recommend the price of salt by Patricia Highsmith, who, is perhaps most famous for writing The Talented Mr. Ripley. Ooh. Um, and also, actually, I'll also recommend The Talented Mr. Ripley. Um, the Price of Salt was made into a movie, the film Carol, oh, which is okay. one of my favorite movies. And it's about this young woman, Therese Bellavet, who's working in a department store when in walks this, like, tall, beautiful blonde woman. Is that Kate Blanchett? Yes. Okay. And she buys a toy for her daughter, uh, but leaves her gloves at the counter, which prompts Therese to get in touch. And then they embark upon this relationship that's like so like interesting and rich and complicated. And Patricia Highsmith's sentences are so beautiful. And the book is so moody. And it's it's really a fast read. I think it's only like a couple hundred pages. And it's just like so delicious. So good. Okay, Allison, those are our recs for you. If you read them, you have to let us know. Everybody else, if you want a book recommendation read on the air, email askingthestacks at gmail.com. Okay, we're going to go to our questions. We always start here. Two books you love, one book you hate. Mm, two books I love. Um, Andre Asimov's Call Me By Your Name. Okay. And Garth Greenwell's Cleanness. That just came out, right? It did, yeah. Is I, it out? It's out. Okay. I had an early copy. It's so beautiful. I've heard it's very sexy. It really is. I heard it's like all the sexy tingles. <laughs> It's so sexy, but more than that, it's like so much about like being a person in the world who's Mm. so sensitive to everything. Okay. (laughs) And then what about a book you hate? A book I hate. um, This is a spicy choice. Oh, I can't wait. Um, But I did not like Today Will Be Different by Maria Simple. Like it just. Oh, I don't know that. Is she Bernadette? Yes. Yeah. Which I did love. Okay. Enjoy. Love her. Also Kate Blanchett. Also Kate Blanchett. This is the Kate Blanchett (laughs) hour. (laughs) Big Kate Blanchett fans. Um, What didn't you like about it? I think it just like, 
I found the characters really simple mm. and there's also some racial language that gets used in it. And I was just like, not into it. Not here not for this. Not feeling it. Got mm-hmm. it. What about, what's the last really just great book you read? Oh yeah. How Much of These Hills is Gold by Pam, <gasps> C. Pam Zhang, mm. which comes out in April and it's so sweeping so majestic, moody for days. Okay. And it's a Western. Yeah. It's like about like the gold rush, right? Yes. It's so good. I have it here. They sent it to me in a box with all sorts of confetti and stuff and the pages are mm-hmm. gold. It's really sexy. Yeah. We're best friends. We were at Iowa together. Oh, you are. And then we sold our books to Riverhead like a month, two months apart. So you guys are just like embarking on your Riverhead friendship. Totally. I mean, is there a sexier place to embark on your book with someone like I feel like Riverhead is just like they're my my top choice I love them so much and their covers are delicious to die your cover I'm just waiting for Riverhead we talked about this actually last week on the show because we did another Riverhead book and the their covers are just like "Mm." yes totally so okay um what are you reading right now right now I am reading what am I reading Oh, I'm reading to the lighthouse okay. with a friend by Virginia Woolf. Okay, just like as like a two person book club type situation. Yeah, I mean, I've read it before. I mean, real life contains all these like homages and allusions to, okay. to the lighthouse, um, and I really, really love it. And he's reading it for the first time, and mm. I and he kept talking about it, and I was like, I love that part, <laughs> and I love that part too. You yeah. know, I'm gonna read it. I'm gonna do this. <laughs> yeah. I need to get back to this. Inviting myself into his book club. <laughs> Oh my God, that's inviting myself into his personal just reading space and calling it a book club now. It's fine. I had a book club with a friend, just he and I, because we didn't want to take other people's opinions into account when we picked books. Oh, nice. We were like, no, we don't want to read what like Karen wants to read. Like we want, we want to read. Oh, yeah. Um, how do you pick what you're going to read next? Um, often it's, I get sent a lot of books now by publishers right. and I'll just like, look at them when they come in the mail and I'll read the synopsis. And if it's good, I'll sort of dive in. But normally it's, you know, I read the New York Times book review and I read book Instagram and whatever pops and looks good. I just, you know, I sort of try to let my natural interests go because it's really easy to get in a reading slump if you don't. Yeah. Well, I feel like sometimes with like the bookstagram community, I end up in a reading slump because I read things that other people gush about, Mm. even though I'm like, this isn't really what I would normally pick up. Like sometimes I trust others too much with my reading. Yeah. So I, I read, I, you've got to like, I have to, I should teach myself to learn to read book Instagram. Cause I'd be like, okay, this is like gushy. Cause the publicist wrote them a nice right. note. Right. Like let's read between the lines. <laughs> is this something that I would be like interested in even right. tangentially? Right. And yeah. Even at the, even if you sort of take other people's recommendations, there's always a part of you that knows right. if, like, if it's going to be a fit. But sometimes I'm surprised mm. because like, I, I like your book. I was not sure I was going to like, cause I, the people who recommended it like a lot of like novelty novels. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't know. And then they were right. And I was wrong. Cause Aww. it's so good. But like, sometimes I, I embark on a book and I'm like, I don't know. We'll see. Like, eh. and then I was wrong. But see that, that is so much fun. I it's lo- the best. I love it when a book just completely wrong foots me. And I'm like, yes. did not expect this. It's the best. What has happened to me? Cause the opposite is the worst oh, when yeah. you're like, Oh my God, I can't wait to read this book. It's going to be so great. I've been saving it for this vacation or something and then you start reading it and you're like this is garbage yeah I hate oh, that totally yeah. I hate that so much um okay what is a book that you like to recommend to people oh there are so many I mean trust exercise okay. for sure um 
And I have a lot of friends who are into kind of like speculative okay. things and I'm trying to like wean them over to literary. Okay. And so I find myself recommending Severance by Ling Ma. Oh, I have not read that yet. It's moody and atmospheric yeah. and it's it's similar to Station Eleven. It's okay. got some Station Eleven oh, vibes. Okay. Um and I also find myself recommending um Andre Asiman's false papers, like essays. Okay. Uh, and also Joan Didion's Blue Nights. Because oh. people who are not they're like, I'm not into nonfiction. I'm like, you we've got to find you. They're- but not magical thinking. Right. No, I mean, Blue Nights is, it's not less devastating, but it's, you know, it's more kind of like lyrical and right. moody. Sure. And it's, I think it's like an easier place to embark rather than like magical thinking, which just like breaks you open. Yeah. And has yeah. no forgiveness. Yeah. No. I mean, I love nonfiction. So that's not that, not my problem. <laughs> like, oh my God, it happened in real life. I'll read about it. Are there books, is there a book that, sticks out in your mind that someone's recommended to you that is just like the best recommendation you've ever received? Yeah, I can't think of Oh, you know what? It was this really great like Chopin biography. Oh. Pianist Chopin. And yeah, it's really amazing. (laughs) That's so specific. That's not something I would think to recommend, but it must be someone you knew well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that sounds right. Also, I guess like it's important to note that I read a lot of like dense biographies of like historical figures. That's what other genres you said. You said that, and then you said something else that was your favorite. Oh, campus novels. Campus novels. And what else do you like? Um, I really, I really love like slim memoirs that are very, very particular periods of a life. Okay. Um, I love histories, especially like early modern Europe. That's Mm, my jam. Interesting. I I recently read two huge books on the Wars of the Roses. Okay. Um, Biographies of artists and pianists I just love so much. I also wrote this really great one of Agnes Martin, who's amazing um and i think those are and like literary fiction I anything read. you hate anything you don't read i don't like my friends make fun of me for this but i'm just like i don't like little novellas like i don't like these kind of hyper experimental mm. fictiony books that are you know i just i'm not into it i like i like my realism realism right and i don't like sort of slim novels that feel hyper contrived mm. and drenched in sensibility like that's right. not my <laughs> Drenched in sensibility, the sequel to Sense and Sensibility. <laughs> I love that. Drenched in sensibility. Do you um, set any reading goals for yourself? I used to, but the last couple of years have been impossible. <laughs> um, I have this ongoing project to read all of Henry James. Okay, um, and and so like that is like the only kind of like ongoing thing I have. But mm-hmm. I just try to, I try to like read off. I try to always be reading a book uh, right. no matter what's going on. And it's been really frustrating because the last four months or so, like I just have not been able to like right. lock into a book and finish it. Right. Do you read multiple things at a time? Yeah, I absolutely do. Um, I'm one of these bad people who are, I'm always in the middle of like four books. I feel like that is, a, I am a one book pony is what I call it. But I think that you're more, that's more common what you do. I always thought everybody read like one book at a time. And then I found out that apparently everybody has like six books going. Yeah. I mean, it's, oh, I always find that really interesting when you find out how someone else reads. Yes. It's like, that's basically this entire podcast is finding out how other people read. It's like so alarming sometimes. Like, yeah. like one of my friends recently said that she, she skips around in nonfiction <gasps> books, like dabbling a little here, a little there. And no. I, and I was like, I understand that intellectually, but also I would never. That feels like school when they like photocopy a chapter of a book oh. and you're like, what are we talking about? Like, how do we get here? I need the whole context. 
I, yeah, no, that is like a distinctly strange thing about American education, like getting chapter 15 of yeah. like a history book. And it's like, where are the others? What's- How did we get here? Yeah. Like, what's happening? Do you, are you a person who like messes up your books? Do you write in your books? Do you fold the pages? Do you use the jacket as a bookmark? I do use the jacket as the bookmark, um, and but I don't dog your pages. But I write in books, but only if they're paperback. Like I don't write in hardcover. Um, but paperback, like I definitely do, and I do it more often in um, in essays, hmm. uh, in collections of essays. Like I'm reading, or I what? Like I started at the beginning of the year, the White Album by Joan Didion, mm. and Joan Didion and I have I have a high write-in rate with Joan okay. Didion. I'm always like <laughs> underlining and writing down things that she says. So, in kind of like critical texts and in collections of essays, I definitely write in my books. And why not in hardcover? I don't know. That feels like a real trespass. Okay. There's something that feels kind of like, <laughs> oh, I bought this little paperback from the store. It's, it doesn't cost that much. It's, You're the second person to say this, which is I'm just fascinated. Mm, I've never heard this before. Yeah. I, writing in a hardcover book feel, I think maybe it goes, maybe it's like a sort of ancestral memory of like education mm, when you're not supposed to write yeah. in the textbook. Right. You have to turn it back in. Yeah. And I think also it's just like harder to write in a hardcover. Like That's it's just physically harder. Right. Because you can't like bend it in mm-hmm. half kind of thing. That's so interesting. If you're in your ideal reading setup, where are you? What does it look like? What does it feel like? Oh, yeah. I'm like at home under my slightly heavy gray duvet. Okay. You have a weighted blanket? Mm-hmm. Well, it's not weighted, but it might as well be. Like I bought this very thick duvet because okay. it's Iowa. Right. And so Cold. You, you meet all the time. Um, and so it's like, it's very, it feels weighted and it's so comfy and it's so cozy. And it's like me under the duvet, with like the book, like propped above my head, like reading it. <laughs> like peeking out. Yeah, totally. Wait, uh, so it's winter time. Usually. Yeah. Okay. Or summer. I mean, I have a fan. My apartment doesn't get very warm. Thank okay. goodness. Yeah. Does it get warm in Iowa? Yes. It does. It gets hotter than the South, which I hate. Oh, so no. Because the South, but does it, is it humid up yes, there too? Yes, that's why it's, oh, no. It's all the corn. Like it didn't used to be, but because oh. of all the agriculture, like it's changed the climate of Iowa. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. It's you know, horrible. Do you think you'll stay there for a while? Do you like it there? I do like it. I mean, Iowa City is a great city to be a writer because uh-huh. it's everyone is a writer in right. Iowa City, um, and it's cheap. Uh, and so I'm I'm figuring out my life right. Sorry, now. that's like really personal. You're, you're like <laughs> leave me alone. No, I mean I'm figuring out my life right now. Um, but it's a great place to kind of sort that stuff out. Yeah, that's so cool. Okay, back to books. What's the last book that made you laugh? Oh, to the lighthouse. There's this really hilarious <laughs> moment where she, where she calls one of the male characters a miserable specimen. <laughs> it's so she's so mean. <laughs> I love mean. What about the last book to make you cry? Um, I think it was Pam's How Much of These Hills is Gold. Like it's just uh, yeah. What about the last book where you felt like you learned a lot? Yeah, Allison Weir's the war. Uh, Allison Weir's Lancaster and York. Mm. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm learning so much. Even though I literally right before it read another book about the same period of history, I'm just learning so much about. It's like getting the other side of the story. It's right, so juicy. <laughs> and you just what about the War of the Roses? Well, I mean, it was a period of time, ta- a period of history that I didn't know much about. And I mm-hmm. always found it like kind of tedious. I was like, uh, all the Henrys and Edwards and I don't care. And the Richards, right. like who cares? Just skip right on over right. it. And so I would, it was just like a period of like, like English history, especially that I, I kind of knew, but I didn't know a lot about. Mm. And so I was like, well, I'm on semester break. 
I might as well just like go nuts, dig in. And it was a really rewarding experience. Are you familiar with those stories through Shakespeare at all? No, I actually, I mean, I do know the Shakespearean plays, um, but most of that knowledge just comes from reading a bunch of other books okay. about. Because I only know it through Shakespeare. Mm. I only know it through like the Henry plays and the Richards and whatever. So it's interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, you know, it's not accurate. I mean, it's not accurate, but it is accurate about the mood. <laughs> like, Well, I'm sure Shakespeare's plays are not accurate about the history for sure. But I just was curious if that was something that you had had experienced it through that way too. But if it's good, maybe I'll check it out. I love a history. It's so juicy. Yeah. It's so, so good. So dramatic. Yeah. Makes a, would make a great Shakespearean drama. I don't it, know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. What about a book that brings you joy? What is that? I don't know. It's am a free to answer. My reading life. Um, a book that brings me joy. Oh, the book Little by Edward Carey. It's this fictional history of Madame Tussaud, the oh, one who all the waxworks. Yeah. Was she a little person? She, well, she was very, very short. That's, was, sorry, I didn't mean like a little person. I meant like, was she a, a little yeah, smaller person? Yeah, she was really, really short. Huh. And it's got all these really great illustrations. And the, I mean, it feels kind of like a Grimm's fairy tale in mm. some ways. And it's just one of those books that you just crawl right inside of. And it you get to just, for a period of, you know, four or five hours, get to just like hang out inside <laughs> of this really imaginative kind of quirky work and it just yeah it just it was moving and it just brought me a lot of joy as like a, a reader it was just a lot of fun i love that i love when books are just like a good time like yeah. a good hang yeah a book where you no what's a book that you're proud to have read oh another country by james baldwin mm. um that was the first time i I saw queer black characters in, mm. in fiction and it just like remapped my brain in mm. some really important way. And I think it's one of the most important books yeah. in this nation's history. It's yeah. so incredible. That's good. What about a book that you're embarrassed that you've not read yet? Oh, this list is so long. <laughs> um, I mean, it's sort of a cliche, but like Moby Dick, like I keep starting it and then not you, following through. Someone just said this the other day. That episode hasn't come out yet, but someone just said that. Yeah. And and as of like a couple of years ago, it was Portrait of a Lady. Like I'd never mm. read that, but then I read it and I was like, oh my God, everyone should read this. This is amazing. <laughs> Why hasn't anybody read this book? Um, I've never read any of the books that people say that they're embarrassed about not having read. And so then I'm I'm like, oh my God, should I be embarrassed? I've never read that book. I've never even heard of it. No, your value system is your own. Yeah. And I've never read it like a million things. There's just so many things. Yes. But it's such a fun one to hear what people come up with. What book is your problematic fave? Oh, there are so <laughs> many. I mean, <laughs> I know the answer to this question and it's absolutely my struggle by Carl Ove Canal scored. Okay. Um, I read. I, you said his name. I could. I would never attempt. I could never I do it. Love his writing so much. I love all of those books. He is such a problematic. Yeah. Life. I mean, he called his book my struggle. Right. Uh, I mean, like, um, yikes. <laughs> and but I just they're so important to me. Like as a writer, they just completely yeah they're. But I acknowledge the deeply problematic things that he says and does in those books. Right. Oh my god, I, I, I love a problematic fave. What about a book that that you love that captures where you're from? Are there any mm, that I love? 
Sure. Mm. Mm. I don't know. Okay. Well, that's not true. There's this book called um, In West Mills by Deshaun Charles mm. Winslow. Mm-hmm. And it's not about it's not about Alabama and it's, you know, and it's not contemporary, but it, when reading that book, it made me so homesick because mm. he so captures the people that I know from home and he captures everything that is like great and beautiful about growing up in a small right. Southern black community. And it just gets everything right about what is so good and also so complicated about that. And and I think it's just, uh, yeah. And so I, yeah. And West Mills okay. certainly the book that to me, maybe the only book that's ever made me homesick. Wow. I love that. What's a book that you would assign in school to high school kids since you assign things to college I know, I kids? Give them, I give them all the things. I think how to write an autobiographical novel by Alexander mm. Chi. I think as a book, it contains all these different styles and modes and it talks so much about, being a writer, but it also contains all of these passages about just like growing up. And there Mm -hmm. are all these essays about him as like a younger person dealing with like trauma and dealing Mm. with feeling out of place and what it's like to be a young, intelligent person in the world. And and it's just like one of those books that you can read at any age and learn a lot. But I think young people, especially, I think it's a great book because I think young people today are so creative and they're so interested in all these different ways of how to be in the world. And they're so smart and sensitive. And I think that's just like a perfect book for a young, creative, sensitive person. Yeah. I, you're right. Young people are super creative and sensitive mm-hmm. right now in a way that's sort of fantastic. Yeah, I, Like TikTok. I know. Like I could never. And Vine before. It, Vine. Know. I mean, it just to me, I teach, you know, teach undergraduates now and before I taught undergraduates, I thought, oh, like as a generation, they're just like lazy and they don't right. even know words and they text in emoji right. and whatever. But, you know, I have found my students to be so and so attentive. They're hmm. so they're such engaging readers. They they work so hard and they care so much about their families, about their friends, mm. about the country, about the world, about the planet. They're so selfless hmm. and they're so like interesting on the page. There's such interesting thinkers. Um, and so I think that, you know, there's a tendency, I think among millennials to kind of like scoff at, right. scoff at younger people at the zoomers. But I think they're so, yeah. Yeah. I just find the, I find them so inspiring and interesting. There's hope for the future. Yeah. Well, totally. everyone likes to shit on the generation yeah. behind them. Yeah. Like we're millennials and they just like, were so horrible to us. I'm like, leave me alone. Yeah. I'm lovely. Get yeah. to know me, please. Totally. Okay. Boomer. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) who you can't say yourself who would you want to write the book of your life um because they know me well or because i love their writing that is up to you Mm, i think i would want um one of my dear friends huxley to write the book of my life he's you know he doesn't have a book out or anything but he's just like one of the most beautiful writers ever and we've been friends since we were like 1920 um and yeah, he and plus he knows so much about my life. Right, he was there. While so was he's going on. both things. Yeah, knows you well and is a beautiful writer. Mm. And is he like wanting to write a book? Is he a writer by trade, or is he just someone that you happen to know writes beautifully? Uh, we used to write collaboratively a lot when oh, we were wow. younger, cool. and yeah, and so he's like trying to figure out his 
this life. Well, come on, Huxley. We want to we want to read your words, boo. Um, Let's I, do it. I'm working on it. Okay, yeah. we'll just add a little pressure. <laughs> Last one. I stole this from the New York Times. So you read. You said you read the New York Times, so you'll recognize this one. If you could require the current president of the United States to read one book, what would it be? I mean. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many. Maybe we can get him an Audible subscription. <laughs> um, I think I would want him to read the Constitution. Yes. Be a good place to have started before he took the job. I mean, perhaps. Yeah. Like the Constitution, one. <laughs> um, and I think, like, get him all of Hannah Arendt. Just all of it. I don't even know what that is. She's this, um, I think she's German, uh, writer, scholar, thinker, and she writes a lot about totalitarianism and mm. fascism and the okay. world in which we live today. Um, yeah. All this of sounds- Hannah Arendt. He just needs. And in lieu of that, Rebecca Solnit. Sure. Mm. I know that is. Um, those all sound like great suggestions, Mr. President. Uh, okay. So we're done here for now. Uh, at the end of the month, Brandon is back. We're talking about Trust Exercise by Susan Choi. It's a novel with lots of twists and we will be spoiling it. We'll be talking about everything. So I'm telling you this now, this very first week of April, so that the very last week of April, you're not mad at me when we spoil the book. You have five Wednesdays. There's five Wednesdays this month. Go read Trust Exercise. And then when you finish that, or maybe before, make sure you pick up your copy of Real Life by Brandon Taylor. Brandon, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. It's been a blast. This is such a treat. We'll be back soon with Trust Exercise. Um, And we'll see you guys in the stacks. That's it for us today. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you to Brandon for being my guest. And a huge thank you to the folks over at Riverhead for making this interview possible. We will be back with Brandon on April 29th to discuss the Stacks Book Club pick for April, Trust Exercise by Susan Choi. Find everything we discussed in today's episode in the link in the show notes. You can get book recommendations read on air just for you by sending an email to askingthestacks at gmail.com. For more from The Stacks, follow us on social media at The Stacks Pod on Instagram and at The Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter. And check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. Make sure you're subscribed to this show wherever you get this podcast. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to rate and review the show. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite, and our theme music is from Tagirajis. This show was created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. I will see you in the stacks.